Good morning. Welcome. Nice to see you all. Some of you on holiday. Special nice to see the Russells here. Philip and Susan. If you don't know them, not many of you will know them, but uh, long-time Glenridge people living in Pretoria. So good to have you here this morning. It's, uh, it's lovely to have you. This is nice and stable. Anyway, as you know, we have been preaching through the book of Thessalonians, and uh, if you remember, Stan took you through the map where we don't have it. But anyway, Paul goes all the way up to, uh, to Asia, and the Holy Spirit stops him, and Satan stops him, and he's muddling his merry way along. And in Acts chapter 16 is where I will get to Thessalonians eventually. But uh, let's have a look at Acts chapter 16 to see how Paul got to uh, Thessalonians. And if you look, it says in, in 16, in verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Marcia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedo of Macedonia standing and begging him. Important, remember that. Begging him to come. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. So here's the beggar, the beggar calling. So I want to speak about becoming from a beggar to a prince. And uh, a princess, if you're a lady as well. All included. And so there was Paul begging, come over to Macedonia. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once and we to go from uh, and we went to ah, speak slowly. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. And off he goes. So he goes, and if you remember the map, all the towns and in the middle of, of Macedonia sits Thessalonica. And so in Acts chapter 17. Paul arrives in Thessalonia, and when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where we know that Jesus preached. Ugh, Paul preached for a couple of days. Please pray for me. I can't speak. Um, it's bad. Maybe we should stop now. <laughs> so he traveled after, and at once, an immediacy. And there's just an urgency of the gospel that Paul has put into these Thessalonians. So, as we know, three times he preaches in the synagogue. We don't know how long he's there, but it's a very short time. But it says in verse 3 of chapter 17 of Acts, Paul went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Jesus is the Christ. And so... Although the Holy Spirit brings revelation and conviction, it's our job to explain and to pronounce the gospel, the good news. And uh, we just had a conference here the last two days, an event on Friday and Saturday, an evangelism conference where people were taught how to preach the gospel and what to preach in the gospel that we can legitimately declare that Jesus is the Christ. And how many people, when we're standing in, or sitting in front of somebody who doesn't know Jesus, can you just say that Jesus is the Christ and describe why and how we can conclude that? Because we can learn how to do that. This is where you get taught it through the, whole, through the book. 
through the Bible, but we get so tongue-tied like I am now that we can't describe and we can't say how and why Jesus is king. Friends, it's learnable. You can learn it, and we can exhort people and tell, proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. Of course the Holy Spirit brings conviction, but it's our job to explain it and to pronounce it. So can you, that's the challenge this morning, can you reason and explain, and can I, how and what this Jesus, what Jesus goes about when he, we, we get saved? And uh, in this conference, friends, it's, it helps people understand it's not intimidating. We don't have to be afraid of what to say and how to say it. The Holy Spirit puts it in us on what to do. And so Lee Strobel is an author who set out to disprove the gospel. He said, biggest load of rubbish. I want to see all this evidence that these people, they write in the Bible, biggest load of trap. And so off he went. And he interviewed professors and laymen, and he just interviewed all these people, and he discovered that there was a case for Christ, and he got saved in the process. So he went, set out to prove that Jesus did not exist, and he got saved. And it's the case for Christ, because people could explain to him and show him, historically, Jesus had to have existed. This history says Jesus was there. You can't argue with it. You can't say, no, Jesus never came. No, history tells us. There were witnesses, eyewitnesses that said Jesus was there. Je they saw Jesus die, and they saw Jesus alive. You can't argue that. It's just we can explain it and exhort it. And there's an urgency. As Paul said, immediately he got called, the beggar calling him, begging him to come. He immediately got up, and off he went. And uh, I want to be part of those people that know Jesus and, make, and want to make him known. I want to know Jesus. As Candace said, there's an urgency now of making Jesus known in the nations. The nations are rumbling. The nations are a mess right now. Man, there's a war over. In, if you want to go to Croatia on honeymoon, you're welcome to. There's a jolly war next door. Are you nuts? There's a war. The nations are, are being torn apart. Paris is a mess. They're waiting. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. The gospel is what, what it is. And I want to be part of those people. That, the, the 1040 window, friends, there are hundreds and millions of people who have never heard the name Jesus. Never. There are people in Mozambique just up the road never heard the name Jesus. Never. Never, ever, ever. ISIS is working in the north of Mozambique at the moment, and there are pastors that want to go from Aputu. They want to go to the refugee camps today so that they, the gospel can go out and not and as an antidote to the Muslim faith that is creeping into the north. Friends, we've got to be getting out there, and there's this urgency. It says in John 4, 35, what does it say? The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvest is ripe. It must be so frustrating for Paul as he comes into this place where, where the people are ready to accept the gospel, and he gets chased out of town. So frustrating. But it's the harvest field is ready, and Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go into the, all the world. And uh, Paul is obedient. And is it turn, our turn to be obedient? If you look, some of the slides are the scrolling. There's so many easy opportunities to get into the nations of the world at the moment. The New Covenant Ministries is just having training times all over the world. Just, in fact, there's one at the Great Lakes right now, at, uh, in the Great Lakes of Africa. The, the Lakes region, people are going in, training up leaders, preaching the gospel, letting people know that... Jesus is king. 
And uh, Paul is, is obedient because he's desperate that all shall hear the good news before Jesus comes. He knows that. I mean, it's wonderful to travel, isn't it? It's lovely. New sights, new smells, new food. It's fantastic. But the most important thing is that the gospel gets preached. That's why we go. That's why we're out of here. That's why Paul is so frustrated. He gets run out of Dodge, I wrote. And I know that anyone under 40 doesn't know what running out, getting run out of Dodge means. But he gets chased out the city. Gets cha- Sorry, even Malufefe. No idea. But that's just sad. See, people don't know what a Western movie is anymore. He gets run out of Dodge. But he gets chased out the city. And it's so disappointing, such a waste of time. So he's, he's worked his heart out, and, and it just gets wasted. But actually, there's a whole lot of fruit that we don't expect to happen. He wasn't concerned about the results. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 6 to 11, Paul says, some water, some sow, but God brings the growth. See, so he just did what he was told by the Holy Spirit to do, and everything else follows thereafter. And so often, you know, we... We go to, we're going to Mozambique in September, in August, the middle of August. If you're keen to come, come with us. We want to preach the gospel, we want to train up leaders, and we want to see what, what God will do. But so often you come back and you think, what a waste of time. All we did was have a great time on the beach, which is wonderful, but you never know the fruit, and sometimes it's frustrating. But I just heard the other day, we've been going for years, up to a man called Armindo in uh, a place called Shasha, Ach Rabish, uh, Mashish. And uh, for years we've just been going in, week after week, year after year. Just heard he's just planted half a dozen new churches. Just planted them. They're just all over the, in the areas. We're going up there in August. He's going to gather his leaders and then we're going to have an opportunity to preach to them. It's a wonderful thing. Friends, we never know what it is that uh, the, the fruit that we can see. Paul gets rejected, gets thrown out but the fruit is as God determines. And so you never really know. And you don't know what happens for you on the trip. The people that come on the trip get changed. Changed forever. Ever and ever. I went up, I remember going up to, to Mozambique with the Van Furens and a few other people and the Robertsons and Beth. We went up to Pemba, which is in the far north where now it's not such fun to be with, with uh, ISIS and things like that happening. But we went up just to see and experience what Heidi Baker's ministry. It changed my life forever. I'll never forget how she ministered. Just loving people. She said, you'll never hear the gospel if you're hungry. So she feeds everybody and then preaches the gospel. An amazing thing. Never. And we just know we don't want to give anything to anyone. No, just feed the people. Let them not be hungry. And they'll receive the gospel. But uh, we've got to go. We've got to get going. We've got to deliver the gospel with words, power, and deep conviction, it says in Thessalonians. So let's go and have a look at Thessalonians, where we actually are preaching through, lest anyone forgets. So in in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Paul had this deep conviction as he was preaching. Man, this Jesus is real. I know Him. I've seen Him. He knocked me off my horse, and He spoke to me personally. have a conviction of it. But I don't know, because I've been run out of town, but in verse 
1 of chapter 2, it says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Because he knows that God's brought on this trip. And as an apostolic people, and an ap- meaning going, we're, we go on this trip and we want to watch and let people watch us and imitate what we do, as Paul said. You know, we have a lot of fun on these trips. We laugh and swim and even things, it's just a holiday. No, 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 no. There's so much more that goes on with God that brings the fruit when we're preaching, when we're teeming well, that people are watching how we're behaving, watching what we're doing and how we're doing it. We made the journey our friend, as my friend over there, Mr. McDonald says. Make the journey our friend because people are watching us all the time. We used to watch Sheena dancing in the street. We used to watch Sheena taking photographs of children. Man, just intrigued. used to intrigue the locals. Who are you that would open the door to telling us, telling them who we are and what we're doing? And sometimes we suffer together. We just think of Paul, he suffered. <laughs> Trips aren't always fun. Not always the easiest thing in the world. Paul got whipped, got keel-hauled, he got unhappy times at times. But generally, man, the gospel gets preached. And it's not so much when we get to suffer... And you'll have heard from this pulpit, Christians don't suffer. Let me tell you, that is not true. I'll tell you from this pulpit, Christians suffer. It's not hard to see. Just walk out the aisle and find half a dozen people here who are suffering right now. Christians suffer. It's not so much that we suffer, it's what we do with that and how we react in the suffering. People are watching. Man, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still the king, and he is going to get us through it. As quickly as possible, we trust. But friends, let's work this thing together. Even though Paul says he suffered through the... He gets rushed out of the city in danger of his life. Yet Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still the king. It's a wonderful thing. And so here we are in Thessalonica. Why are we in Thessalonica? Because of a beggar. A man begging uh, Paul to come. Please come. And so Paul comes to the beggars. Friends, we're all beggars. We're all sitting here as beggars. Without Jesus, we are beggars. And then Jesus comes. And uh, we think we have it all. We have nothing unless we have have Jesus. But uh, let me tell you this. We're all beggars, but Jesus turns beggars into princes. And that's what he's done in Thessalonica. So let's have a look um, just quickly at verse 6. In chapter 1 it says, you became imitators of us. So Paul just wants the Thessalonians to look, see what we do, and do it. And of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out. What a beautiful thing. People are radically saved, rescued by Jesus. And Paul says it wasn't a waste of time. And it goes on in verse 6 of chapter 2. It says, We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God to how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. 
you who believed, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so, friends, I want to just focus very quickly. I won't be long on how they worked. In verse 6, it says, I, sorry, verse 9, Paul says, we worked hard so as not to be a burden to you. Friends, princes work hard. We get saved by grace. No works to get saved. We are saved by grace, and then we work hard. Princes work hard. From beggars to princes takes grace, but then the hard work comes, and it spills over into our daily lives. We are without excuse for hard work. We should know that gets handed down to us. As we get saved, man, I want to work for Jesus. We work hard, not for our boss. We work, as the Bible says, as to the Lord. And so we're hard working because of Jesus, not for any other reason. Hard work. And uh, I used to, I worked as a student before I was qualified. I had only one subject left to do, so I, used, I worked for an engineering firm, and I had it taped. If you just pick up a piece of paper, or more than one is actually better, and you walk around, you look busy, it's fantastic. I walked around for hours, every day. How are you doing? I had coffee with my mate over there. I went to the next person. We got it so, it was so bad. I'm ashamed to say this. We used to, we had a computer room in those days. We'd shape, we'd face the computers away from the door, and we played golf. Another, a qualified engineer, to her shame, and... Uh, <laughs> She would play, and we, would, we played golf for hours. Control-Alter-Delete, the most fantastic invention ever. We had a, she had the control button, I had Alt and Delete. And if the partner walked in, it was Control-Alter-Delete. Oh, computer again. For six months of my life, I walked around as a, with a piece of paper in my hand, playing golf or having coffee, and it was terrible. And you know what happens? You reap what you sow. Because when I was qualified and I was working and had a bit of responsibility, guess who God sent me? He sent me people with papers in their hand who are lazy. <laughs> but I was onto them in a flash because I've been there. <laughs> Friends, don't walk around the office with papers in your hand. Get on and work. That's what we're called to do. Jesus said we work hard. We get paid money and we work. And even if you haven't got a job, find work to do. Volunteer. Don't volunteer on your turn. Mm, yeah, I can come in. Yeah, maybe I'll come in at nine if you want. Mm, but then I'll only stay till ten because ah, it's a bit of a schlep. No, no. Come in and volunteer on your person that you're volunteering two turns. Hey, when would it help you for me to come? I'll come in from X time to X time. Perfect. I'll see you then. And we work hard in that volunteering thing. It'll change your and my lives. It's incredible. We have faith and we've... Let's have a quick look at James. In James chapter 2. It's after Hebrews, a little bit further. James chapter 2 speaks about having great faith, but no, without deeds, your faith is dead. It's an amazing thing. In, in James chapter 2, verse 14. Um, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of, all, of foolish men. Have I got the right chapter? Yes, I have. And it talks about slaves submitting um, to your masters with all respect. And it goes on. And it speaks about us having a faith. 
It says, live as free men, do not... Oh, I'm looking at Peter, it's very unhelpful when you're looking at the wrong chapter. I've got it, I wondered why the heck it was so badly wrong. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Of course not. And it goes on in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Friends, we are not called to get saved and sit back and wait for everyone to give us everything we need. Man, we are here to work. We are here to get stuck in and, if, and look for work. When we go on a trip, there's nothing worse than a person who just walks in. In fact, I've said the story before. We're unpacking at the end of a very long day, and he sits down and he says, I'm so exhausted. Man, I'm so exhausted I could kick you back to Durban. There's all <laughs> older people helping everyone, helping everyone get unpacking the trailer. No, no, I'm tired. No, 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 but it's got nothing to do with you. It's about what to do with the team and what we're doing. We're helping here. We're trying to get this thing going. It's not complicated. It's not difficult, but we work hard. James says, man, we work hard. No, we don't work to get saved. We work in our saved. We work hard. Volunteer. Do whatever you have to do, and we will go. There's that story I think I might have spoken to you before about that herdsman from um, oh, Ethiopia or somewhere miles away. Anyway, he was born into a tribe that herded and owned cattle. That's all they did. They never did anything else. The men herded cattle and the women uh, cooked. Literally, stereotypically, that's what happened. Not funny, true. And he saw an airplane driving overhead one day and he thought, man, that's what I want to do. I want to climb into that thing. And so he goes on a, a way back to the city on a, on a trip with the school and they go to an airline uh, repair facility. And he thinks, ha, ah, this is my chance. He said, I'm not going home. His father says, son, what you do is herd cattle. That's your job. He says, no, I'm not going. And he doesn't go home. And he stays at this facility. He stays with some family that he knew or friends. And every day sneaked back inside into this factory. And he just sneaked in and he would help. And he would eventually got to a point where he was indispensable. And uh, he would help the mechanic, hand a tool to the mechanic, and got to a place where he was the mechanic. Unpaid, just this young man. Suddenly they realized this guy's become indispensable in our, in our midst. We need him. And they sent him on training, and he became a registered, genuine airline mechanic. He said, I don't want to be a mechanic, I want to be a pilot. And so an opportunity arose for them to say, we're training up people, who wants to go? He puts his hand up. Long story short, he becomes a pilot. Incredible thing, just a man. He became indispensable helping and volunteering. So he became just fully employed, fully a pilot. He goes back home, walks into the crawl. There's his dad. Dad, here I am. It's an amazing thing. God's got so much for so many of us. We just, you don't have to have a job to have dignity. We can get dignity and tasks as, as James said, we want to be that man, that woman that does things. We do stuff. We don't just goof off. And so from herdsman to pilot, from beggar to prince, what well, a beautiful story. In verse 10, let's go back to Thessalonians. It says, you are our witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. We were, had great integrity among you. People were witnessed to how Paul and his friends behaved. Totally blameless. 
you remember Joseph and Potiphar in the, and in the prison? Joseph gets sent as a slave. Gets sent as a slave. What does he do? He works so hard that he becomes indispensable. Cannot do without him. Potiphar worried for nothing because of the, the way Joseph worked. It says in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in favor and statute with, with men and God. Why? Because he worked hard and he, did, he was integrous in everything he, do, he did. Is that your and my testimony? Are you an absolute dream at work? Absolutely. The, the best worker the world's ever seen, yet you're enslaved to pornography, let's say, at night. And that's not integrity. That's not integrous. We can help you. Come and speak to us. We'll help you. We've met with a group of men some time ago, and uh, the challenge was this. Can you live your life, to, let's say, can you live today and pin it up on your fridge for your whole family to read what you did the whole day? That's a challenge. Friends, there's some days I don't want everything to go up on my fridge. But we mess up and we repent and we make right, and I get that. But generally speaking, can we walk with integrity? Are we walking with integrity? And uh, of course we mess up, but we can make right and fix it. And then in verse 11, it says this. It says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into the kingdom. Paul dealt with these Thessalonians like a father. And Paul describes himself in verse 4, he says, I'm a steward, I'm entrusted with some, with a, with a, a wonderful message. In verse 6, it speaks about him being an apostle, this visionary. Verse 7, it says, he, he treated them like a mother, I behaved like a mother, nurturing you, pulling you in, gentle. In verse 9, he says, I'm a la- I was a laborer, I labored hard, and now it says, I'm a father. In verse 11, he encouraged, he comforted, he urged them all to live a life worthy of the calling. And uh, he testifies to them how to live. He knows what children need. Father, friends, fathers know what children need. I just, I can't help it. It just, that's what fathers do. They just, God has put something in them and he exhorts them. But the other thing fathers do, he exhorts their children. I don't want my children to be sitting doing what I'm doing now. They've got so much more to do. There's so much better stuff to do and to do better. And uh, so that's his, his exhortation. Friends, <laughs> a father, a mother, when a child gets injured on the rugby field, the mother naturally wants to run on, pick up the child and put him on the side. The father, let me tell you, unless you're dead, stay on the field. That's your job. Stay on the field. You get off, the next guy comes on and plays better than you and you never get back on the field. Friends, I'm a father. I know this. I know this thing. And a daughter it works the same for girls. If a girl, a girl doesn't leave the field either until she's dead. If she's dead, you can carry her off. If you can't carry her off, they must stay. Friends, why? Because we're there to get going and get on with the job. A little bit of a sore knee because you got hit on the knee, it's fine. You'll survive. Just keep going. Keep on going. Paul was lashed 40 times. How many times? Three times or whatever. Gets pulled under a ship, dragged by a rope. Man, guys, we're not suffering. We need to keep on. It's not suffering. Unless you are concussed, knocked out, stay the course. You'll be okay. Okay. And lastly, very quickly, in verse 12, I joke, but I don't joke. 
I'm, just keep going. You'll be okay. Um, in verse 12, it says, Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul's aim was to lead the Thessalonians into lives of godliness. That's what the job is. To lead our colleagues and our friends and families into our lives of godly walking in a way that is worthy of the amazing thing that Jesus did on the cross. Man, it is, just remind ourselves what Jesus did and it's worthy of, to follow him and do what he says, not what we want. We have a high calling, experiencing God's holy living. Michael Eaton, the author, says this. He said, we are being summoned to experience God's kingly power now in the way we live. We are summoned to experience God's kingly power now in the way we live. We're being changed from glory to glory, one degree of glory to another. And Paul's whole ministry had this practical purpose about him. He just wanted people to live to the glory of God. So friends, we are called, having been rescued from being beggars, changed into princes, and we need to respond urgently to get into the nations, get into our next door neighbor, and get into our friends and families. Amen. Amen.